Well, good morning, all. Good to see you this morning. Welcome to Fusion. If you're visiting with us, welcome. We're glad you're here. This morning, we're continuing our series uh, that's called From the Birth of Christ to the Birth of the Church. And we're at that portion, in, or that, that part in Jesus' life where he's standing on, the sermon, standing on the mount preaching his sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And the mount is a pretty fitting theme for us this morning because we have a mountain of Scripture to read. We do. Jesus preaches a section in the Sermon on the Mount that's one whole portion. It's about 28 verses. But we're biblical people, right? We care about the Bible, right? We can handle 28 verses this morning, right? And if all else fails, if my sermon falls flat this morning, at least you get to hear the one that matters. <laughs> that's what you love to hear at the start of a sermon. <laughs> We've already prayed, so I'm going to dive right in. For I tell you, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in dangers of the fire of hell. Therefore, if, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who has taken you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you've paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. 
You have heard it said, you've heard that it was said, love your enemies and hate, love your, your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the word of the Lord. (laughs) Jesus covers quite a lot of ground in this passage, doesn't he? Murder, adultery, divorce, loving your enemies. How much time we got this morning. (laughs) I think we've got to get communion in this morning as well. (laughs) I hope the roast isn't in the oven already. We may be here a while. At Calvin Seminary, there's a piece of artwork that lines the whole hallway to the chapel. And it's 28 separate pieces of fabric. And on each piece of fabric is an elaborate image that represents a significant biblical event. And at first glance, when you stand in the hall, these 28 pieces look like individual pieces of art. 28 individual pieces of art if you stand back in the hall and look at it. But if you look closely... At each image you will see woven into it is a little golden ribbon, a little piece of fabric of gold woven into each image. There's a golden thread that weaves its way through each of the 28 images, bringing a unity, a cohesiveness, and a connectedness to the piece as a whole. And this morning, as we explore the many topics, which feels like 48 or 28, that Jesus presents, murder, adultery, divorce, I want to focus on the golden ribbon, that common thread that weaves them all together. Um, There's likely more than one golden ribbon or common theme that sort of weaves all these together. Uh, For example, the six main topics that Jesus brings up here are all related to love of neighbor. Don't kill your neighbor. Don't commit adultery on or with your neighbor. Don't break your promises to your neighbor. There's a common theme, a golden ribbon, a common thread of love your neighbor. But the common thread, the golden theme that I would like to focus on this morning is that throughout this portion of teaching, Jesus seems to be focusing on the heart. Jesus is addressing the posture, the spiritual health, the importance of the heart in pursuing God's will. Obedience to God is not simply lived on the outside, it's also lived on the inside. And Jesus is seeking to probe beyond the mere religious tradition of his day to the depths of the heart, the character, the inner being. Jesus is teaching God's original intention for the law, which was not to simply cultivate a set of practices, but to transform hearts, to be like God's heart, to transform our inner desires, to be what God desires, to form our hearts to love like God loves. The common thread that runs right through this portion of teaching is that Jesus is seeking to transform our hearts, which inevitably transforms the way we live. Jesus desires for the transformative work of God to penetrate into the deep recesses of our heart and character. Jesus desires that even in the quiet and the secrecy of our own hearts, we would pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. As Aaron introduced for us last week, Jesus is into the portion of this sermon that deals with the law. The Old Testament Torah found in Leviticus and Deuteronomy and summarized in the Ten Commandments of Exodus 20. 
As Jesus teaches on the side of this mountain on a likely a really hot Palestinian day with the disciples at his feet and the crowd surrounding about him, Jesus is interacting with that Old Testament law that's likely familiar to many in the crowd. But on the other hand, Jesus is also interacting with the contemporary understanding and attitudes and practice of the law. And it doesn't take long when we read these verses to see that Jesus does not agree with the contemporary understanding and practices of that law. In fact, six times Jesus voices his disagreement. You have heard it said, Jesus says, but I tell you. You think it that way, but I do it this way. You think it this way, but I think it that way. Jesus is not in agreement with the people of his day and their attitudes and their practices toward the law. You see, for many of Jesus' contemporaries, their living of the law had become a, a pattern of worn, rigid rituals. God had intended for the law to, to be a guide for his people that would produce their flourishing as they live in right relationship with God and in right relationship with each other. But by the time of Jesus, the law had become a complex system of rituals that few fully understood or that few could fully adhere to, hindering their ability of love of God and love of neighbor. And Jesus is challenging those of his day and their approach to living out the law. In fact, Jesus repeatedly throughout Matthew's gospel criticizes those in the way that they live out the law, says that they're keeping mere tradition and not focusing on transformation. It's all about keeping the traditional laws and not about transformation of the heart. In Matthew 15, for example, Jesus criticizes the experts in the law. He says, you hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human teachings. In Matthew 23, Jesus says, Woe to you, you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs. You look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, you are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. On the outside, you're looking all right, but on the inside, you're dead. Throughout Matthew's gospel, Jesus challenges those who adhere to all the rules of the religious tradition Yet their hearts are disengaged. Their hearts lack transformation. And here on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus challenges that same pervasive attitude of simply keeping the tradition without transformation. Jesus challenges those who display an outward perfection by keeping the standards of the day, yet their inward life is as dirty as mud. Your hearts are far from me. And in our passage this morning, Jesus makes the heart one of the focuses of his teaching. And interestingly, the word Torah that we often translate as law is actually derived from another Hebrew word, yara, which means to shoot, like an archer shoots an arrow. It was, there's a sense that the law, the commands, the instructions of God was always intended to pierce the heart like an arrow. And in these verses, Jesus shoots for the heart. You have heard it said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Yeah, Jesus, we know that, the crowd says. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Jesus likens the unseen anger that we hold in our hearts to be the same thing as public murder. 
You have heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. We'd never do a thing like that, Jesus, the crowd say. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus likens the lustful fantasies of our hearts to be the same stuff as adultery. Jesus shoots for the heart. Jesus pushes his audience to think deeper than the worn-out cultural norms that they have grown accustomed to. Jesus pushes his audience to go beyond the traditional religious rituals. Jesus seeks to engage the hearts of his audience, calling them to true devotion. You need transformation on the inside as well as on the outside. Jesus preaches God's desire to see hearts and lives transformed, not just mere tradition upheld. And it may seem easy for us some 2,000 years onwards to look back at that first century Jewish community and wag our fingers and say, look at those religious folks, those traditional religious folks with their hearts not in it. We'd never do that, would we? Us modern folks with our good reformed theology of grace alone. We'd never fall into that pattern of just keeping tradition with our hearts checked out, would we? I'm not so sure. (laughs) I think there's a danger that in our own faith, we can simply fall into the patterns and the practices and the rituals, and the heart checks out. I first visited West Michigan over 10 years ago, and when I was picked up at the airport, I was absolutely stunned. When I got into the car and we turned on the radio and we heard Christian music. What? Not only that, but there were multiple stations. Are you kidding me? We don't have that where I come from. Christian music on the radio? I remember. When my wife and I were first kidding out our dingy little apartment here, our first one, wasn't pretty. And we went to Meyer, and we went to the home goods section, and I was taken aback when we saw wall hangings that had the words of Scripture on them. At the local store? Really? You guys can do that here without anybody getting offended? <laughs> what? I remember in my early days of coming here, when I went into a store, And a woman, as I was leaving, stepped out from behind the counter and she said, Have a blessed day. What? A blessed day? That's quite churchy language for a footlocker. (laughs) What are we doing here? (laughs) Around here, we are immersed in our own cultural religious tradition. We live in a city with more churches than I can keep track of. We're spoiled for choice. (laughs) We live in a city where a large number of us are biblically literate and doctrinally catechized. We live in a city where the same family has sat in the same pew for three generations. (laughs) Around here, we have our own cultural, religious tradition. And that's not a bad thing, (laughs) don't get me wrong. But like all cultural religious traditions, even that of the day of Jesus, there's a danger that it becomes so normal, so routine, so much the order of the day that the heart checks out. 
There's a danger that we tick all the right boxes on the outside, the bonnets and the ties at Easter and the church choir at Christmas, but on the inside, we're disengaged. Or worse, our hearts are full of anger and lust and hatred and deception and greed and a lack of compassion and a lack of love for neighbor. There's a danger of settling for the tradition, the cultural norms, the Sunday service and the potlucks. And we miss out on the rich transformation of the heart that our Heavenly Father seeks to produce in us. I was chatting with my sister this past week about her own faith journey. Anula knows a little bit about a heart that checked out. Anula grew up in church, knows all the hymns, knows all the right scriptures, can pray at a prayer meeting like the best of them. But she recalls a time in her life when her heart checked out. You see, for the longest time, Anula stored bitterness, anger, hatred even in her heart toward our Father. I'm not talking about our Heavenly Father, I'm talking about our literal Father. Nula, being the oldest of six children, had experienced most of our dad's violent, drunken outbursts. She had grown to near hate him. And Nula recalls even on her wedding day, rejoicing quietly in her heart that she no longer bore his name. I'm no longer associated with that man, I no longer have his name. Nula's heart, by her own admission, was detached from the very faith that she said she was living. Nula sang all the songs of forgiveness in church. She read all the scriptures of reconciliation. On the outside, she looked like she was living faith, the faith she professed. No concern for the elders here. But on the inside, her heart was checked out. She wasn't extending the same grace that she was singing about and praying about and reading about. She wasn't able to extend to our Father the same love that God had extended to her. She was going about all the practices, yet her heart was somewhere else. And there's a danger, friends, that as we go about the routine of doing church, that we miss out on the transformative work that God seeks to produce in our hearts, to overcome sin, to reconcile us to each other, to equip us with a capacity to love our neighbor beyond the bounds of what we thought was possible. As Jesus teaches the crowd, he shoots past the religious tradition and he penetrates the heart. And Jesus, of course, is no ordinary teacher. Jesus is no ordinary rabbi. I imagine that that crowd have likely heard countless sermons on the law, but none are like this one that Jesus preaches. You see, Jesus does something curious, I think, in this sermon. Jesus raises the standard of keeping the law to an impossible height. And we got to ask, what is he doing here? Jesus raises the standard to an impossible height. What is he up to? If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Ouch. If your hand causes you to sin, chop it off. If someone wants your shirt, give them your cloak as well, which in that context likely meant that you'd be running around naked. <laughs> your righteousness should surpass that of the Pharisees. I've often wondered what the Pharisees thought of that. How do they outdo themselves? 
Be perfect as God is perfect. That's a tall order. Jesus raises the standard of keeping the law to an impossible height. What is Rabbi Jesus up to here? Is he actually just making it harder? Is he burdening people with more rules and more regulations and more restrictions? No. Jesus is tactfully exposing the crowd's inadequacy to meet such impossible demands. Jesus raises the bar so high that they can no longer reach it by themselves. In raising the bar to an impossible height, Jesus pushes them to find, beyond, find strength beyond themselves. Jesus pushes their dependency beyond their own powers to the power of God. Jesus is ultimately pushing them to not look to themselves for their source of righteousness and holiness, but to look to him for righteousness, holiness, perfection, and the transformation they so desire. Jesus exposes their inadequacy, guiding them toward himself. And where else would they go? But as Aaron told us last week, to the one who fulfills the law, to the one who has the authority to say, you have heard it said, but I tell you. We should not underestimate the power of that statement. Jesus, by saying, I tell you, is actually making himself greater than that of Moses. He is also saying that he is, his authority is equal to that of God, because God is the one who gives the law. Yet Jesus stands here like Moses on Mount Sinai with the authority to give a new law to God's people. Jesus is no ordinary rabbi. Jesus is God himself. Jesus is the shepherd atop the hill who gathers his wandering and lost sheep into his very embrace. Jesus comes not to create a religious tradition, but to transform hearts, to transform the hearts and lives of his people through his life, his death, his resurrection and ascension, to transform his people to be like him. And as Aaron read last week, and I think it's worth reading again, Hebrews 10 puts it this way. For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. This is the covenant that I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my law not on stone, not on a scroll, not in a new set of rituals, but I will put my law in their hearts. I will write them on their minds. Their sins and their lawless acts I will remember no more. Jesus recognizes our inadequacy and he pours out his grace on us, doing the transformative work within us that we need to be righteous and holy and perfect. No amount of self-help or self-discipline or ritual can make us children of God. Only Jesus brings about that kind of transformation. And Jesus desires to transform our hearts and in so doing, transforming our lives and the lives of those around us. When we gather here on Sunday, when we gather here on Sunday mornings, we aren't simply gathering to keep a tradition. <laughs> We're gathering to encounter the transformative power of Jesus. We're gathering to encounter Jesus' transforming power that helps us to overcome sin. That helps us to, to love our neighbors as ourselves. That helps us to worship God in spirit and truth with both heart and life engaged. My sister Nula, 
had grown to hate our dad. On her wedding day, she rejoiced that she no longer bore his name. And in the years that followed, she did all that she could to keep him at a distance. And few would blame her for what she had endured. But Jesus is about transformation. Jesus is a God of love and reconciliation. And if we sit at his feet long enough, we learn his way. Nula, by God's grace, began to open her heart to Christ's transforming power. She let him into those secret spaces that we keep hidden and locked away. And as Nula began to walk and step with the work of the Spirit in her life, as Nula continued to experience the love and the mercy and the forgiveness that Jesus has poured out on her own life, her heart began to change. Jesus began to transform the anger into charity, the hate into love, the revenge into forgiveness, the bitterness into gratitude. Jesus began transforming Nula's heart to love our dad beyond a capacity that she thought she could. And our father died a few years ago, but it was a picture of grace to see my sister Nula sitting by his bedside with her hand in his. And it was Nula who was whispering the promises of Scripture in his ear. And it was Nula singing the songs in the hospital room, the hymns of our tradition, with her heart now aware of their truth. And it was Nula who gave the eulogy at our father's funeral, thanking God for this imperfect man whom, she, whom God had helped her to love. Jesus invites us not to a tradition, or a mere tradition, but to transformation, to be transformed in our hearts and our hands, to be the children of God, to love as God loves. So often when we think about the kingdom of God coming, we think about it in the far-off places and the suffering places of the world. But God desires for his kingdom to come in our own very hearts, in our own very lives, in our own very families, in our own very communities. And thanks be to God that through Jesus, who stands on the mountain to teach us, to show us his way, to transform our hearts, thanks be to God that through him that's possible. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, the words of the psalmist come to mind. Sacrifice and ritual and burnt offerings you do not desire, but a contrite heart a humble heart. Lord Jesus, it's so easy for us to get caught up in the, in the rhythm of Sunday, in the rhythm of, of the patterns of our own religious cultural tradition. But Lord Jesus, I pray that you would engage our hearts in deeper and profound ways, that you would push us past the ordinary to experience your extraordinary transformative work that seeks to renew and restore and resurrect our hearts. Lord, help us to lay our lives down at your feet. Help us to look to the mountain from whom our help comes from. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We give you our lives and all God's people said.